Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. Let's read a scripture together. Open your uh, word to John chapter number 20. And we're going to read and and pray together. And then I'm going to let you be seated. John chapter number 20. Verse number 19. And we're going to read a couple of verses of scripture there. I want to talk with you today about the ministry of impartation. The ministry of impartation. And I'll try to break that open for you uh, so that it prayerfully will make sense. But let's look at the scripture together. Just set the tone and kind of set our pace. This will be the bell that sounds and gets us out of the gate today. Uh, John chapter number 20, verse 19. Then the same day at evening... The, uh, being the first day of the week. Now, what's, what does he mean by the same day? This is the day Jesus is raised from the dead. This is resurrection morning. And I'm always amazed at how Jesus did it. Y'all, I, I have to be honest with you. I probably would have done the resurrection a little different if I was Jesus. Um, I mean, if they had drugged me through the streets, beaten me within an inch of my life, literally pulled my beer out and hair, spit on me, called me every imaginable name, Put me through the suffering that he did. When I came out of the grave, I probably would have made a visit to some folks that had a celestial visit coming. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, I'm back. You know, or maybe, or, you know, or maybe to the the hall of hewn stones where the Sanhedrin met and say uh, that condemned him in that kangaroo court and said, "Yo, what you gonna do now?" You know I'm, I would have been tempted to do that. You know what I'm saying? But not Jesus. Not Jesus. On the day of his resurrection, he makes his first post-resurrection appearance to an ex-hooker in an obscure garden and then ordains her as the first evangelist of the new covenant. Amen. That's right. The first evangelist ordained by Christ himself was a woman with a past. I need a good amen for that. Amen. That's the kind of Jesus we serve. Amen. No, I'll get you back. No, let me show out. Nothing of that. None of that. Just appears. and Well, on the day, he also appeared where the disciples were gathered up for fear of the Jews. This is what the scripture says. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now, one of the other writers, when recording this particular event, gives us a a bit more detail when he says they were terrified. John kind of sanitizes it a bit and just lets Jesus tell them not to be afraid. But the other writer, I think it was Luke, that said they were terrified. Who wouldn't have been, right? You've just seen him crucified, just seen him die, and you're having dinner talking about what's going on, the threats that could be coming your way, and poof, all of a sudden he appears in the room. Uh, You know, John probably could have added a phrase, come back here, guys, because they probably vacated the room when he appeared. How many would have done that or might have been tempted to do that? But he didn't. So he said, look, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed him his hands and his spied. Verse 21. So Jesus said unto them, again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them. And said, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we're going to pray. Father, thank you for the anointing that's on your word. Thank you for this beautiful congregation in this room. Lord, we're gathering around these ideas for a few moments. I pray now that you'll open every filter in every heart. 
Lord, I pray that everyone in this room would feel the touch, the wind from heaven, the touch of your spirit on their heart. Lord, we disarm. Let it be disarming to us. We are disarmed in your presence. And we ask God to do uh, that you would do in us what only you can do and for your pleasure. And let what you do in us be the reward of your suffering. In Jesus' great name, amen. High five somebody and tell them this. I'm praying for you that you receive everything God wants for you. I'm praying for you this morning that you receive everything God wants. So I'm just going to do a little teaching if I may today. Is it okay if I wear the hat of a teacher? And uh, just try to impart a few ideas. I did want to mention Alex and Hannah. It's great to see you guys. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a minute, but I'm so delighted. Uh, Alex uh, interned with me for a couple of years, and we liked it so well, we hired him. And he stayed with us for uh, some of the fondest memories of our ministry lives where uh, Alex and I running up and down the roads together. And then uh, Hannah came and just brought, brought the better part of Alex all in. And now, now the kids. And so we love you guys and delighted to be with you. So impartation, let's talk about, let's work on this subject just a little bit. I I know I'm in a house that is accustomed to the teaching and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And if you're here and you have not experienced the Holy Spirit yet, well, just hang around with this crowd and it'll rub off on you. It will do that. It's really more than rubbing off. It's more like contagious, you know. You'll catch it if you're not careful. Uh, I want to talk with you very quickly, kind of as we kick things off, about three ways that we experience God. Three ways, and there may be more, but these are three that I've defined for our purpose today. Three ways. First of all, we experience God through information. Information. Uh, There was a moment where you didn't know that you needed to be saved. You didn't even know there was a Savior. And then you had to hear the good news. How many know that the whole gospel is called good news? News is information, right? It's that you hear something that you did not know or understand, and then suddenly your life is altered. You experience God through information. I've been looking through some of your booklets and some of the things, some great teaching that's going on in this house, discipleship training, and we've gotten to be a little part of that with some of your students and and are excited about We experience God through information, things that we are taught. Uh, The second way we experience God is through revelation, revelation. And this is where things that we're taught become revealed and we gain understanding. It's one thing, I could be in a room with a nuclear physicist talking about different theories and theorems and all kinds of chemistry and things like that. I might collect the information, but I would not have understanding. There has to be a moment where I come to an understanding if that information and data is going to be of any value to me. I need to be able to at some point have that epiphany moment where the light bulb goes on. And how many have ever had that? Maybe it's not about nuclear physics, but how many have had that moment? Maybe you were an apprentice with a, uh, with a trade or you were being taught a trade and then those things that were just rote information and ideas, suddenly there's that click and it, you get it. And, and you hear people say, I get it. I finally get it. Well, that's how we experience God too. We experience Him through information, things taught, and then we experience God through things that are revealed. But there's a third way that I want to talk with you today about that we experience God, and that's through the ministry of impartation. You see, there are things that you can be taught. There are things that you can eventually come to understand. But then there are some things in the kingdom that you can't just get through information, and you can't just get through revelation. You need to get through impartation. 
In other words, where your filters open and by faith you receive something from God and you take it to be your very own. You receive it and it, it, it then becomes a catalyst for changing your life. So what I want to do is that they're going to throw up four points and I, I've just kind of adapted for our purpose today. Normally I would break these points down and go through them and I'm going to touch on them a little bit but I thought in case I don't get through I'd give you all four points at once. How many would like to have the whole sermon in a nutshell in about three minutes all at once and you are not dismissed when we get through with this. You wait till I let you go okay these are the things I want you to understand today I want you to take away I read it to you Jesus first post-resurrection command with his disciples was to receive the Holy Spirit he didn't tell them to plant a church he didn't tell them to start a ministry he didn't start them tell them to start a food pantry or or any no, he didn't tell them to do any of the, those things would grow out of their activities but the first and foremost thing that Jesus told them to do was to, to receive the Holy Spirit. And then the scripture says he breathed on them. He breathed on them. And that brings us to our next point. God wants to get what's inside of him inside of you. Now, I learned this lesson most of us did with COVID, right? When we were all wearing masks and we were told that that was going to help us. I don't know whether it did or didn't. And it doesn't matter about your politics on that. We all donned masks and started wearing them. And I will tell you that my mother, 85-year-old mom, got COVID first. And I learned the value of masks because my sweet little 85-year-old mother imparted COVID to me. In other words, what was inside of her got inside of me. And for 21 days in her apartment, it was tough going. And I, I, Kath would come to the door and bring food. We wouldn't let her come into the building. In those days, we weren't sure how serious it was going to be for her or for me. And so uh, here we're in that room, just she and I. She's in that apartment. She's 85. Kath would bring food and leave it at the door. And I told Kath later, I said, what happened in that apartment during those 21 days is never to be spoken of again. Don't ask. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It was, yeah, it, so it, it, was, it was tough. But that underscores the idea or the, the concept that what is inside of you can get inside of somebody else by simply you breathing on them. You see, Jesus breathed on his disciples and through the breath of God imparted the, the Holy Spirit to them. That was the whole basic idea. And so that's, we're going to talk about that. And the third thing is the Holy Spirit is imparted to believers who will take hold of it by faith. The Holy Spirit is imparted to believers who take hold of it by faith. It's like playing catch. How many have ever tried to play catch with somebody that can't play catch? Is that a frustrating game or what? It's like they throw it to you and it's 10 feet in front of you and you have to go and get it and you throw it back and then they throw it over your head and it's like, no, no, no. There has the, what God wants to do with you, in you and with you sometimes, you have to receive it. In other words, he can, he's going to throw it at you, but you got to catch it. Somebody say, i got to catch it. In other words, you've got to be willing to receive it. You've got to, instead of putting all the filters up and let your brain take over, and well, what about this, or I heard it's not for today, or, or going through all the mental gyrations of why you don't qualify or why you, you're not worthy, or any of that stuff, you have to just be willing to receive what he gives you. And let me just talk for a second about qualifications. None of us are qualified to receive the Holy Spirit. Not a single one of us are worthy of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, the scripture is clear that the Holy Spirit was the reward of Christ's suffering. Look at your neighbor and say, the Holy Spirit is His reward. 
You say, you got Bible for that? Sure. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up to preach and talks about to the crowd that's just crucified Jesus. He's just gone through and you with evil hands have taken and crucified him. It's a pretty stout message in front of all them. And he explains to them that having been uh, having ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high, he has now received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus Christ became the inherited son. He became the favored son. Why? Because he lived without sin and then he became the perfect sacrifice and by doing so the plan of redemption was accomplished in him he ascended to the right hand of the majesty poured out his blood on the mercy seat and I don't have time to build all this out for you but essentially Pastor Bobby when he applied his blood to the mercy seat he then received the scripture says a name above every name now he was already God he was already God but as a covenant man named Jesus he received a name above every name and and he then received the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is See, you understand, it's an all-inclusive term. When we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about signs, wonders, miracles, healing, the kingdom of God. Everything that God does from the realm of the supernatural in the realm of the natural comes vis-a-vis the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul would later say in Ephesians that it was the Holy Spirit that we received that is the down payment of our inheritance. So Peter says Jesus received it and then we through him have become joint heirs in Jesus Christ. So what I'm saying to you is it's not because you're good that you get the Holy Spirit. It's because he's good that you get the Holy Spirit. It's not because you deserve it. It's because he deserves it. It's not your reward. It's his reward. Do y'all understand what I'm saying today? Is that making sense? That means when you come in the altar and somebody lays hands on you and the gift of the Spirit moves, it's not because they're super spiritual. It's because it is the reward of Christ's suffering. He paid for it. He earned it. He died for it. When you lay your hands on someone and speak healing into their life and say in the name of the Lord, be healed, all that's happening vis-a-vis the Holy Spirit is coming before it's the, because it's the reward of Christ's suffering. So just lay aside all that condemnation and think, well, I hadn't prayed up. I'm not worthy. I'm not. No, if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and you are a carrier of the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit is, is powerful no matter how weak you are. So that's really not my sermon, but that's just a little, you know, added something or other. I just want to, anybody here that the enemy would say, well, that's all nice for them, but you don't deserve it. If they knew what you had done, if they knew what had been done to you, they would know you're disqualified. That's the, the, the devil is a liar, I'm going to tell you, because you have been qualified to be glorified by the power of the Holy Spirit that he earned with his blood. He earned it. He earned it. So when God gives you a word for somebody, share it. Why? Because he earned that word. He bought and paid for that word. Somebody say it's bought and paid for. All right. And then finally, the gift of the Holy Spirit is to help you find and fulfill the purpose of God in your life. The gift of the Holy Spirit is to help you find and fulfill the purpose of God in your life. I do not know that I will get through all of those today. So if I don't, I can leave satisfied saying, well, I gave them my whole sermon right up front. And so they got it. Okay, let's, let's back up just a little bit. Jesus' first post-resurrection command was to receive the Holy Spirit. You see, it wasn't enough for Jesus' disciples to hear his teaching. They'd had three years of that, roughly. It wasn't enough for them to hear his teaching, to see the miracles, even understand, have revelation that Jesus was the Jewish 
Messiah and indeed the world Messiah. Wasn't enough. They needed something more than information. They needed something more than revelation. They needed impartation. Jesus knew it. That's why he did it. So the first thing that he did is Jesus breathed on them the breath of God. But you know, it didn't just appear and it wasn't a New Testament invention. The Holy Spirit didn't just come on the scene with the coming of the New Testament covenant or with the blood of Jesus. The Holy Spirit had been around since before time began. The Holy Spirit is indeed God. Been around since the, As a matter of fact, we can see the work of the Spirit even in the creative process. You see, it was the same Spirit that Jesus breathed on the disciples that was hovering over the face of the deep in the beginning in Genesis chapter 2, preparing for the download of data that would ignite the creative moment. You see, even scientists will tell you, even those who are old world or old earth teachers will tell you there was a moment in history where this, there was this mega download of data that allowed the creative, or even if you go to evolution, that allowed the evolutionary process to go from where it was to what it was today. Now, I'm not suggesting to you I'm an evolutionist. I'm just saying that even they will acknowledge that there was this massive infusion of information and data that came not over a long period of time, but in a relatively short period of time. Even the fossil record uh, portray, portrays that. And so the Holy Spirit didn't just show up in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is called the Ruach HaKodesh. It's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's called the Numa. But the Scripture says it this way in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And watch this. And the Ruach Elohim... And the Spirit of God, that word Ruach is breath of God. Breath of God. It's not this intangible spirit that's kind of like Casper the friendly ghost. You know what I'm saying? It's not like that. No, no. This is the breath of God. Even in the Hebrew, that's what the word Ruach means. The breath of God. And the breath, let's say it that way. And the breath of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And at that moment, I believe we're seeing impartation where the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit that's hovering over the waters when God said, let there be light, it's like... And there was this amazing impartation and it's not long till we see the waters dividing and the earth appearing and then the vegetation beginning to show up and from vegetation to animal life, are y'all in the room with me? Things that weren't living before begin to live now. Why? Because the breath of God had brought life to them. Same Holy Spirit. Say say it with me. Same Same Holy Spirit. Same Holy Spirit. There's the same Holy Spirit. It was later, it was that same Holy Spirit that moved on the prophets of old as they declared and decreed the word of the Lord. And through their word brought kings and nations to their knees. How did they do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. How did it happen with Elijah on Mount Carmel when fire came from heaven? Where did it come from? How did it happen? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you all in the room with me? (laughs) Okay. It was that same spirit that quickened the egg in the womb of a virgin named Mary. 
according to Luke chapter 1, that produced the Son of God and then imparted the divine nature into that lump of molecules and flesh that was inside her body. It was the same Spirit of God. It was the same Spirit of God that then raised Him from the dead after He was crucified. The apostle says it to us this way. If the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, how shall he not quicken your mortal bodies as well? Amen. All right, let's buckle up somebody. So like I said, the Holy Spirit's not a ghost like Casper. In every way was God expressed and experienced through the breath of God. In the ancient translation, it may look more like this. God by breath. Imagine that you can have a moment of impartation where you experience God, not just through information, not just through revelation, but you can experience Him by breath. Where you can literally breathe in the power of God and receive an impartation. Come on, somebody with me. And I'm thankful, I'm thankful that that's what can take, change a prostitute into a prophetess. That's what can take, change a dope dealer into a deacon. Are y'all in the room with me? That, that's what can happen that will change. Oh, you can give them information. You can even help them come to an understanding. But there has to be that pow moment. There has to be an epiphany moment where the Holy Spirit is breathed into their very being. And what's inside of God gets inside of them. I'm trying to teach this stuff. It's just hard. You know what I'm talking about, Pastor Bobby? It's hard. It really is. It's hard to just teach it. you got to get a little preach going. <laughs> life and respiration are often linked. And we talk about the breath of life. You might think of it this way. The Holy Spirit is the animating life of God expressed through His breath. God breathed into Adam the breath of life. And Adam became a living soul with a spirit. His spirit was created when the breath of God hit his insides. There was that impartation of the breath of God and the mud man and the mud woman eventually began to think and blink and speak. You see, there was a moment where he was just a lump of clay in the hands of the creator. He had eyes, but he couldn't see. He had ears, but he couldn't hear. He had a mouth, but he couldn't communicate. What happened from that incredible, exquisite creation in the palm of God's hand that took him from that to the moment that he stepped up in God's hands and began to walk and stand up straight and his eyes began to blink and suddenly it's not just eyes with a physical anatomy to produce vision. Now there's vision. Now the capacity. To, what happened? It was the breath of God. Somebody hold your hand up and go... The breath of God. Somebody say the same Holy Spirit. Same Holy Spirit. You see, when you look at the Holy Spirit in this way, you begin to see that you cannot live the God life. I didn't say the good life. Because in some dimensions without God, you can live what would the world would consider the good life, the high life. What I'm telling you, though, is you can't live the God life without the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You can't think the God thoughts. You can't, the thoughts that are designed to lead you toward your destiny and help you discover your purpose. How many figured out that money won't satisfy that inner longing for meaning and significance in your life? 
that fame won't do that. If, that, if it could, everybody in Hollywood would be writing self-help books about it. Instead, it's the suicide capital of the world. Why? Because those things can't satisfy. It takes something deeper. God designed you to have a, pay, a space in your life that only He can fill. And He designed it to be filled by the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you, there are people all over the world that will tell you how you get it. How many are glad today that we serve a creative God? And a God that feels no obligation to conform to our religious rules. We can have them. God just said, you know, and sometimes I'll work within them. But I'm not obligated or bound to operate within your religious ideas of how it has to happen. Because we tend to religiousize all these experiences, right? We doctrinize it. It's like, well, how did you get it? Well, I don't know. We were out in the backyard and the rooster crowed. So, well, you got to find a rooster to crow. And it's like a... Come up with all kind of crazy doctrines trying to reproduce an experience that was so esoteric and so organic... And we want to rigidize it and standardize it and then just say, okay, this I prayed all night, you got to pray all night. But how many are glad that we serve a God who will blow all those opinions right out of the water? It does. And, and the scripture shows us this. I, for the last number of months I've been studying the book of Acts. I've kind of been captivated between chapter 6 and chapters 19. And I discovered some things that are interesting there about the book of Acts and the power of the church in the first century. In the book of Acts, we get a glimpse as to how the church was born, how it grew, and how it became powerful. The church that was birthed on the day of Pentecost would become, listen, the driving force of Western civilization, overcoming the great Roman Empire, shaking the accepted world order in a short 400-year span of time. Without the assistance of advanced technology, a website, a capital city, or a standing army, literally, the church turned the world upside down. How did it do it? By the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why the church is so hated by popular culture and postmodern society. It's why the woke culture has been on deconstructionism because the spirit driving deconstruction... Can I deal with this just a second? Is it okay? Because the spirit driving deconstruction knows that at the root of all ordained authority is God and God's chosen vehicle to demonstrate that authority in the earth is the church. That's why the world hates the church. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news and I don't want to be a, you know, kind of a, a, a killjoy this morning, but it's not going to get any better. The church can get better, but the world's not going to get any better. And we're, listen, we've got to come to a place that we say, I'm going to quit trying to play nice and make happy with a world that's headed to hell. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. God has ordained the church to be the church and empowered the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's the same Spirit that was there at creation. It's the same Spirit that prophets prophesied under. It's the same Spirit that produces signs and wonders then, and it'll do it today. It'll do it today. I don't want you to think, okay, he's getting overtly political. I'm not political. I, I'm not, a, I'm, no, no, I am Christian. The church is Christ's body in the earth. According to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, you can study that later. I, I want to just tell you today that the church does not have a mission in the world. The mission of God has a church. Think about it. Let that sink in for a minute. The church does not have a mission in the world. God has a mission in the world and He's using the church. 
that flies in the face of a lot of contemporary church thought. But somewhere in the, line, somewhere in the process of church development, we got our mind and our eyes set on the fact that we thought the church was the object of everything instead of the tool to do God's bidding in the world. You see, Jesus still wants to win the lost. He said to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that, that, that's the, the great commission is the mission of God. And God said, okay, how are we going to do this? Well, my body, I'm going back to heaven, but I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit. And there needs to be a habitation for the Holy Spirit in the earth. What's going to be the habitation of the Holy Spirit in the earth? Ah, it's going to be my body in the earth, which is called the church. Irregardless of denomination, irregardless of background, if they are born again, Bible-believing Christians, and they're loving Jesus, then they are animated by the power of the Holy Holy Spirit. But God's not as interested, I think, in us. I mean, I, I want to be careful, but God's not as interested in building church as He is ch- the church doing His bidding in the world. God help us. I mean, you're going to build a beautiful building and God's for you and raise money for that. But that, that building is not the end. of. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to use that building to fulfill the mission of God in the world. Are y'all following what I'm saying? It's just like your house is a part of your family, but it's not your family. It's the habitation of your family. Your purpose is to develop children and grandchildren in your family, and they need a place to live, a place to animate. That become, that's what the church is to the body of Christ in the earth. I hope I'm not confusing you. But Pastor Bobby, you can fix it all after I leave. Okay, so had to have a three-week seminar to clean all this stuff up. Sorry about that. <laughs> To preach the gospel to every creature, that's the mission of God, and He uses the church. God has a mission for the church to fulfill His purpose. So I can just say to you, when we consider the first century church without building or book, it begs to question, how in the world did that group of ragtag believers turn the world upside down? What was at the epicenter of the entire move of God in the post-resurrection first century? that shook the empire to its knees. It was a Holy Spirit-filled church. Friends, the church was burdened in the power of the Holy Spirit. The church is sustained by the power of the Holy Spirit. The church grew by the power of the Holy Spirit. How many are getting it today? You see what I'm talking about. We We cannot accomplish by natural means what can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. As a believer, the same could be said about you. You're a microcosm of the church, so the same could be said about you. You're born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are sustained in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. You grow and are changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, religion, legalism, and philosophy will constantly try to negotiate you away from the work of the Holy Spirit to convince you that you can accomplish God's purpose in your life through financial means or cultural insights or, listen, people-pleasing ploys that are approved by secular culture. That's a lie from hell. You can't do it that way. you got to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit sorry I'm sorry I'm glad it wasn't my refresher that would have been sad no this is good okay so I'm almost got you where I want you <laughs> okay alright but you must receive it by faith you must receive it by faith. So what have we learned so far? God, Christ's first post-resurrection command was to receive the Holy Spirit. We know that because the idea is that God wants to get what's inside of Him 
inside of you. And that you must receive what God wants to do in your life and take hold of it by faith. Let me talk just a little bit about that for a moment. You must receive it by faith. There are two words that I want to draw your attention to. In, for example, let's look at maybe Acts chapter number 8. If you'll, if you'll go over with me too. And I want to try to do this quickly. Acts chapter number 8. So the story opens and Stephen, the deacon, has been stoned. It was endorsed by Saul who would eventually become Paul. During the dispersion, Saul's really doing a number on the church. Wreaking havoc. It begins to scatter the church. Look at verse number 4. Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken. He's sharing information. He's sharing information. Many of them are coming to revelation. Multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. Notice hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits begin to cry out. And he gives us a litany of things. Crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Now some people say, oh, the work of the Holy Spirit was just a one-day thing on the day of Pentecost and then it ended. Well, now we're about three years or maybe four years after the day of Pentecost. Okay, Jerusalem's still the epicenter of what's going on. But this is not a one-day experience. This is happening in Samaria as Philip is preaching. There's signs and wonders and miracles that are going on and people are watching the miracles and believing the message. This basically is how the gospel has gone to foreign lands since the very day of Pentecost. Always the leading edge of the spear has been accompanied with signs and wonders and miracles. And we see it happening here. Multitudes hearing and unclean spirits. And notice there was great joy in that city. Now let's buy sidestep the sorcerer's problem because he saw power and he wanted to franchise bottom line he, he wasn't as concerned about Jesus he, listen he's, maybe I should talk about it for a minute he's not that different from a lot of religious people today that they're not really concerned about a relationship with Jesus they just want to franchise the power that comes with the Holy Spirit if I can get it I'll draw a crowd if I can get somebody healed if I can do this if I can give somebody a word and tell them what name their, their, where they live and their address and their doctor's name and all that and I always think I go to some of those services and you got a prophet here and I respect it but I'm thinking I already know my street address and my doctor's name tell me something I don't already know you know what I'm saying anyway but we'll get to that we might not get to that but <laughs> you can get to that verse 14 is where I want you to see and when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received if you have a highlight or a pen you might highlight that word receive the word of God they sent Peter and John to them who when they had come down prayed for them that they might receive and highlight that word the Holy Spirit these are translated by the translators the same word but they are not the same word in the Greek the first word is the word dakamai in other words, when it says, and when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that the Samaritans or Samaria had received, had dakamai, the word of God. Let me tell you about that word. Dakamai is a hospitable welcome. 
it's like uh, it's like a greeting type of welcome. It's a it's a yeah. I mean, I believe what you're saying. Mm, that sounds good to me. And I see the signs and wonders. It must be true. It is a mental affirmation. It is a it is an affirmation of the idea they receive the word. In one place, the scripture uses that word. They receive the word with gladness. There was that response, and it went so far. Maybe it's information. Maybe it's revelation. Maybe I'm not saying they're phony or fake. I'm just saying that that's what the word means. But then when it says the apostles came to them and laid hands on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, that word is lambano, lambano. It's a different kind of word. That word means to take hold of it because it was a promise and make it your very own. It's receive it and take hold of it. And Scott, okay, I'm not. It's like, brother, you just told me you're going to give me your car. I want them keys about right now because I ain't leaving the property until you give me that car. That's lambano. Every time the scripture uses the word and they receive the Holy Spirit, it wasn't dacomai, it was lambano. When that passage in John chapter 20, when Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, it wasn't dacomai. It wasn't, oh, just believe it and have a little mental ascent. Mm, that sounds like a good idea. No, no, that wasn't. Jesus said, take hold of the Holy Spirit. Make it your own. Receive it by faith. Don't leave the property without it. Two different words, two different words, and every time it is used. And I'll give you, and I've got to move quickly, but how many got it? You see what I'm saying? It's different than mental agreement. It is when you take hold of it by faith and say it's mine and it's, it's going to be the game changer and the difference maker. We can't have a great marriage, honey, if we don't have Lambano, the Holy Spirit. We can't handle our finance if we don't Lambano, the Holy Spirit. We can't raise our children effectively if we don't Lambano, the Holy Spirit. And you sometimes you got to get aggressive with it. This is what Jesus is inviting us to do. Let it become more than a theological doctrine. Breathe in. Let that respiration moment happen when you exhale the poison of this world and breathe in the rarefied breath of God and it changes everything in your life. Breathe in. Breathe in. Stand with me. Today, many believers have received the word with gladness. I'm not saying they're not saved, y'all. I'm just saying that something extra needs to be added. Some have believed it and received it in their mind. They're hospitable toward it. Well, I've never spoken in tongues, but I'm not against it. I'm glad they got it. And they've never reached out and got a hold of it. God wants to get what's inside of him inside of you. The Holy Spirit is imparted to believers who will take hold of it by faith. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, God wants to help you find God's purpose for your life and fulfill God's purpose for your life. You say, okay, so how do I get it? Well, in this case, the apostles came. Philip had preached the gospel that the apostles came and laid hands on the people. So, okay, let's get a doctrine. Let's get it. Somebody get the book. Let's write it down. Find you an apostle. I'm not against it. <laughs> That's the only way you can get it, the hands of an apostle. Well, the problem is in the next chapter, Saul, who's persecuting the church, is on the road to Damascus and experiences 
Jesus in his resurrected form, the baptizer himself. Pastor Robbie, I'm, I'm thinking, why didn't Jesus just fill Saul with the Holy Spirit at that moment? Right? Instead, he sent him to Damascus to a certain address. Listen. And then spoke to a, a, a disciple, not an apostle, a disciple nobody would ever heard of before and nobody would ever hear of again. And told that disciple who wasn't a particularly great man of faith and power, he's scared spitless to go. He's not saying, I'm going in the power of the Holy Spirit. No, he's trembling in his boots. He said, Lord, why are you sending me to this man? Don't you, hadn't you heard what he's doing to your church? Lord just said go no no Ananias didn't have great faith he had great obedience and he gets into the room and what does he say he said bro I love the way because it's like this guy's the terrorist right it's been terrorizing killing people throwing them in prison he says brother Saul <laughs> brother Saul <laughs> brother Saul the Jesus that appeared to you on the road has spoken to me to come that I may lay my hands on you that you might receive your healing because he'd been blinded by the light and that you might lambano the Holy Spirit. And Paul is baptized and receives the Holy Spirit not at the hands of an apostle but through the hands of an everyday run-of-the-mill, no-name believer. So all that, all you got to have the hands of an apostle. They all blew that all out of the water. You got time for me to tell you one more little story? Because, okay, now we need to find a nobody. It's just anybody to lay hands on me. But you got to have hands laid on you. That's how it works. Pastor preached about impartation. It's got to come through the laying on of hands. That would be wonderful if it weren't for Acts chapter 10. Peter the apostle is sent by God by a vision to the house of a centurion Roman soldier, a Gentile. Peter wouldn't, he's a Jew, he's an ascetic Jew. He wouldn't lay hands on nobody. He wouldn't touch a Gentile. Matter of fact, he gets there to preach. He don't really know he's supposed to preach. He just knows he's supposed to go. It never occurred to him that God might save the Gentiles. He didn't have a revelation theory. I'm walking the power of the Holy Ghost. Some of these Gentiles going to get it. Had no idea. Matter of fact, he says, why am I here? An apostle who received the great commission from Jesus Christ himself. Ask a bunch of lost people. The first question is, I'm not sure why I'm here. Cornelius has to tell him that he was sent by God to preach him the gospel. And it's like he has this epiphany. Oh, 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 yes. Wait, oh, yes. Uh, how God anointed Jesus Christ. Uh, and so he went about doing good. And, and he, you know, notice he preaches the gospel. And while he's preaching the gospel, ladies and gentlemen, the scripture says the Holy Spirit fell on all of them. Nobody touched nobody. Nobody touched nobody. No apostles touched them. No everyday disciples touched them. Nobody touched nobody. And while the gospel is being proclaimed, the Holy Spirit fell. Peter's defense of offering them baptism was when he got back to the Jerusalem council. He said, who was I to argue with God seeing that they receive Lambano, the Holy Spirit, the same way we did? 
All right, so I'm in the red now. What are we going to do now, Holy Spirit? It's like, okay. So bow your heads and close your eyes and lift your hands all over this room. You don't have to leave this property without taking hold of the Holy Spirit today. You may say, I don't know all the theology of it. You don't. All you have to do is say yes and open the filter. And in a moment, in a moment, when I count to three, we're going to all raise our voices. If you're here in this room and you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, you go ahead and begin to pray in your prayer language. Let's set ourselves in agreement and set the atmosphere. And if you're here and you've never been, you've never received the Holy Spirit, if you will simply by faith open your mouth and begin to worship the Lord, begin to thank Him for His goodness, begin to say, it's mine. I'm taking it home with me today. It's, it's what God has promised. It's the promise. It's the reward of His suffering. He suffered that I could receive the Holy Spirit. He suffered that I could be forgiven. He suffered that I could be delivered. If you begin to do that, when I count to three, I want you to receive by faith and let the Holy Spirit fill you the breath of God. God by breath. Just receive the breath of God. Begin to breathe in and breathe out and let the Holy Spirit come. One, two, Three, right now, receive it. Come on, saints. Come on, begin to worship the Lord. Just pray in your prayer language. Begin to worship Him. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.